there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. If you're into technology, but you didn't study engineering or computer science, or if you're a young journalist and you're wondering if or how your experience can be leveraged down the line to break into other industries, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest was a liberal arts major as an undergrad and spent 15 years of his career as a journalist. And today is the CEO of a tech startup. But before I introduce you to the remarkable Daniel Seberg, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that we blast out on Mondays, giving you a sneak peek of the new episodes we're going to be dropping that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four coffee.org and sign up. Now, my creative cappuccino compadres, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite frothy beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Daniel Seberg, the CEO and founder, alongside his sister, of IO. Daniel previously was the co-founder of a blockchain-based startup after he'd spent six years at Google building two teams in support of journalism and serving as Google spokesperson. Previously, Daniel spent 15 years covering technology, science space, and the environment for a variety of news outlets, including CBS News, ABC News, CNN, and regularly contributing to a ton of other news organizations, including the BBC, PBS, MSNBC, Discovery, Salon, and Details. Daniel has been nominated for five News and Documentary Emmy Awards, and he says he didn't win any of them, but they clearly just weren't really evaluating Daniel at the level that he should have been. His book, The Digital Diet, was published in 2011, and we're going to be getting into that in the main T4C interview, not in the espresso shot. So make sure that you check out and see if the longer main T4C interview has already dropped. You can see that in show notes. Daniel, welcome to Time for Coffee. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Andrew. Thank you so much. I think I'm fully caffeinated at this point, and I appreciate you having me on your program. It's a real privilege to chat with you. Well, it is a privilege to have you on, but I haven't asked you the question yet. I'm going to ask it right now. Are you caffeinated, Daniel, and ready to go? (laughs) I've had an Americano and, dare I say, I had instant coffee before I had this delicious Americano at a place in Manhattan. So I definitely think I've reached my caffeination threshold for the morning anyway, (laughs) and we'll see how the rest of the day goes. We need to talk, my friend. What are you doing drinking (laughs) instant coffee? I know. As somebody who had an opportunity to experience a coffee ceremony in Ethiopia about 10 years ago, I really value what (laughs) caffeine can do for us and the origins of it. And so I do need to start my day (laughs) with coffee. Okay. Well, we're going to have to do something about the freeze-dried instant, (laughs) but let's just get on with our espresso shots anyway. I'll pretend I didn't hear you say that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Daniel... What are the entry-level jobs that are available to young people who want to break into your field? And I'm not sure if you're going to want to say journalism or startup or both. 
I would say that for young people these days, there's a real opportunity to dig into research. And, you know, when I was a young journalist, if I can say that I was, <laughs> I feel still young at heart, but when I was starting out, you know, I saw some amount of value in assisting and helping with the more senior journalists or the people who were asked to tell the stories to people, but perhaps didn't have all the time or the bandwidth to be able to understand some of the trends, to look at data, to look at analytics, to start to see where we're all headed. And I think that for young people who are at the cutting edge of technology or of journalism or whatever profession they prefer to choose at this early stage of their career to devote some amount of time to look at what's happening in the world. And it could be at a more macro level and thinking about where broader trends are headed globally, or it could be looking at stuff that's happening a little closer to home or more specific to a certain discipline. And I think that there's so much value in just offering up that information, taking the time to go and research it, finding the right sources, trusted sources. And this is something, of course, you learn as a journalist is to think about the authenticity and the veracity of any information that you find. But to be able to do that in service of others and to share that, I think is a great place to think about starting. It may not be the sexiest job or the one that perhaps gets the most acclaim and accolades, but it is invaluable. And in the way that people who I worked with and I saw them as mentors saw the value in what I was helping them to do, I would like to think that it's an opportunity to sort of pay it forward when you can do that with somebody who's more senior than you or who maybe has more experience than you, they can then help to up-level your own career. So I often see that as a place for young people to start. Fantastic. And that really does dovetail nicely with the second espresso shot, which is what is a useful skill or skills that you look for, Daniel, in the young people that you've hired? You know, it's a tough skill to quantify, but I would say that emotional intelligence is something that you can learn. I learn from my daughters, frankly, in terms of how they relate to people and what they learn and how I learn from them. And they're so new to the world and they're so open to this growth mindset. So I think that the ability to listen as a skill, to really take the time to hear from others is something that maybe doesn't show up on a CV or a resume. It's hard to say, well, I've spent X amount of time listening to others and learning from people. But to me, there's so much value in that that applies to conversation, to the ability to relate to people to work in groups, to collaborate. These are skills that are going to be necessary in the 21st century and beyond in ways that certainly as we're all a more connected society, we sometimes forget, but arguably they are the most important skills that young people can learn. And it does take some time. And if you consider yourself maybe a little bit less of an EQ person, there are ways to think about how to instill that more in yourself. And there's plenty of publications out there to, to help. Yeah. And babysitting, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. If you want to learn from the young in your life or in your neighborhood. <laughs> Taking care of others. <laughs> Definitely. Daniel, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into either journalism or the tech field? In other words, if they haven't studied it, is that a deal breaker? I would say no, that it's not a deal breaker. I think that depending on whether you want to get into engineering or marketing or design or leading teams or getting into communications. There are certainly, if you want to become an engineer, then you need to think pretty specifically about the choices you make in school and digging into mathematics, which was one of my weaknesses in my academic career. But depending on how you want to apply yourself to technology, and you know what I like to think is that 
perhaps consider less about what you want to be and more about what you want to do and how you want to affect people and why you want to work for a particular tech company or in any particular field. And I think that as somebody who started out in writing and I did a film minor and then did a master's in journalism with a focus in technology, and that was frankly purely by accident in that the dean of the journalism school required everybody to have a beat or to focus on something. And technology was the only one that I could think about at the time that I really cared about. So as long as it's something that you're passionate about, I think that there are different avenues to get to something that feels fulfilling and ultimately meets that purpose-driven need that we all have. I love what you said. Think about what you want to be rather than what you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, all too often, I think we tend to sort of think that throughout the whole course of our lives, we'll wear one hat or we'll, you know, be a certain way to everyone around us. And I would say that I probably have something of an identity crisis when people ask me what I do or what I am or what my job is. And sometimes I default to saying that I'm an entrepreneur these days, which I think encompasses a lot of what I'm up to. It also leaves behind a lot of my, quote, former life or past career. And if people ask, of course, I'm happy to tell them what I did previously. But I would also like to think that we shouldn't put limitations on ourselves in terms of what we can be in the future, or what we could do in the future. And I think the construct of society in that we follow a path of going to school and getting higher education and imagining a certain job And sometimes we feel the pressure from our parents or people around us who say, well, you should be this or you should do that. And I think we all do have this evolutionary journey through life in the way that I think you are as acutely aware as any of us that, you know, it's not that you are one thing or that other people should define who you are. There's a belief in ourselves that's so essential to taking on something new. And sometimes it's the unknown that scares us the most. And that's where just believing in yourself is so important, whether you're in school or out of school. And just remembering that life is fraught with uncertainties and that to continue to focus on empowering yourself is maybe the most important part. A hundred percent. And I would just add to that, that when you believe in yourself, that doesn't mean that you're not also nervous or scared or uncertain about where things are going to go. It's embracing that fear and jumping anyway. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I can remember the first time I went on live television at CNN, and I was petrified. I had to borrow a shirt and tie because I was wearing a t-shirt. I was asked to go on air. I was working for CNN.com. I had no idea what I was getting into. And maybe that was what served me in some ways, not knowing what was ahead. And throughout the course of my life, I feel like I've pushed frontiers. And one of my perhaps proudest accomplishments in my life is that I earned a chief scout award in Canada, meaning that I really value service and my sister's a nurse. And to think about what it means to serve others. And I would say that journalists serve the truth. And that if you can find within yourself to go down the paths as a scout, as a pathfinder, as somebody who is not necessarily going where everyone else did. I always, of course, love the Robert Frost quote of, I came to a fork in the road and I chose the road less traveled by. And there's something about that that I've always hung on to. And it's something that you can apply to every moment in your life, whether it's a big career decision whether you go to a different restaurant, whether you try a different route to work, whatever it is to sort of break yourself out of a routine and a rut, because I think sometimes that can bog us down. And we worry, 
we're afraid of the unknown. That is a natural human fear and instinct. But the reality is, and as somebody who's done a lot of stuff that people might say is crazy or seems unusual or isn't what people originally anticipated, it can provide fulfillment in ways that you maybe just can't see before you take that step. Absolutely, Daniel. So beautifully said. And I would just quote one other very famous poet, and that is Yogi Berra, who I believe said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Okay. (laughs) All right. On that note, let us pivot to the next T for C espresso shot here. The next question you have kind of touched on already, but whether, Daniel, you think a graduate school degree is important less so for the entry-level positions, but more so to succeed in the field of whether it be journalism or tech? And if so, what are the most useful ones to have? I think that the opportunity to meet people who are seeking something arguably extraordinary in their life. And I think that sometimes that's what drives anyone to continue in academia, the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of understanding the world a bit more. Those were, I think, a lot of the reasons that I sought out going to graduate school. I think I was the last student who was accepted (laughs) into the graduate program that I was in. And I also valued their emphasis on getting hands-on experience. So really getting out of the classroom and learning from people who are already doing. And there's a lot to be said for that within the journalism profession. I think that all too often academia can seem a bit insular. There's an accusation of it feeling like an ivory tower, certainly from the outside. People who are perhaps not surviving the scars and slings and arrows of the quote real world. And so I think the sooner that you can springboard yourself out of that into something that feels like you're making a difference and impacting the world around you, the better. I also think that focusing on the those around you, those humans who are also feeling probably the same way that you are in the way that I don't think anyone has the perfect formula to success. And I think graduate schools can often provide this great, great place where you can learn from people and learn how to work with them and maybe even find people who you want to go into business with or they can introduce you to someone. And I think that's what's benefited me over time. So I would recommend it for people. Of course, there's a trade-off of the cost of what it means to devote that time. I ended up working a lot of jobs while I was going to school throughout my academic career just to be able to self-fund it. And I think that there are life lessons that come with that. And I think all too often, sometimes graduate school or even going to school at all is handed to people in a way that it doesn't feel as meaningful as when you really invest yourself, your time, your money and everything else into it. So like anything in life, I think you get out of it what you put into it. And in terms of the best ones to get, if someone wants to be a journalist or if somebody wants to go into the startup world, the tech world, do you think getting like you did a journalism master's, you specialized in tech, what do you recommend, Daniel? You know, what I got out of it is thinking critically. And I think that when you can apply critical thinking to any endeavor that you're undertaking, it forces you to run it through a gauntlet of why do this at all? Why would anybody spend their time or money on anything that you're creating or building? So for me, as somebody who reported on a lot of startups, saw a lot of rockets get to their own moons and asked tough questions, or at least what I thought were tough questions as to what and why they were doing anything, it has served me tremendously. I think that a lot of journalism schools are seeing the value in putting emphasis on entrepreneurship in the way that an MBA can, of course, provide some pretty hardcore 
foundational principles for how to create a company and how to run a business and how to be a leader. And I think that increasingly schools like Cooney or Columbia or any of the schools on the West Coast, Annenberg and others are thinking about what it means to think like an entrepreneur. And I used to at Google champion the idea of being an entrepreneurial journalist. That might mean going off and starting your own business. That also, I think, can apply to how you create a story. Starting from a blank page is arguably not that different than starting your own company. You start with nothing. You start with zero. And to be able to get from that to one, zero to one, published story, something on the air, that to me embodies what it means to create anything. And I think that graduate schools are increasingly thinking about how to train people's brains to think in that way. And I think that that can be incredibly valuable. Yeah. In fact, very recently, I interviewed a former CNN colleague of ours, Bruce Kennedy, who talks about how he moved to Colorado about a decade ago and actually enterprised his own beat. He is now one of the leading journalists in the field of the legal cannabis industry. Mm, Yes, exactly. And this is where I think you start to see opportunities in ways that maybe others don't or perhaps are holding themselves back. And I think a lot of it is encompassed by taking risks. And so much of life pushes us away from taking risks. We think that there's some downside. We're exposing ourselves. There's a lot to be said for being vulnerable, whether you're an artist, a journalist, a CEO, to put yourself out there with something that you stand behind or you believe in is incredibly difficult. And in the way that we all have failed in our lives, it can be hard and challenging. And I think that there's really no greater satisfaction than learning from your mistakes. And the more that any of us can do that, the better that we evolve and the more mindful and I would argue peaceful we feel about where we are in life. I would sum it up by saying no regrets and just pushing yourself in ways you maybe hadn't imagined before. I love that. And that actually very much summarizes how I feel right now. And I can Mm -hmm. say that as an entrepreneur who isn't earning any money, that it is deeply fulfilling. And it makes me incredibly happy to be doing this. So I totally agree with you, Daniel. What is the best part for you of being in this space right now? I think The opportunity to work with others, my sister being one of them, there are a handful of partners who are working on, dare I say, my company, our company, IO, and the time that they have devoted without being paid, I think I've been humbled by this entire experience in that whether it's my sister who's a nurse or the other partners in this who all come from quite a diverse background, whether it's their ethnicity or their gender or whatever it is, and they've devoted themselves to this in a way that they've believed in me, this, us, something bigger than all of us, that's been hugely rewarding. And to feel like you're pioneering something new and that others are interested in what you have to say I get asked lots of tough questions, and some of them are ones that I can answer. Some of them I say, we're working on it, we're thinking about it. (laughs) I always like to say, everything was nothing before it was something. And it could be the lamp in your living room, to the computer, or your laptop, or your phone in your hand, to the car that you drive. And it took somebody's tenacity, 
belief, humility, determination, all of that together in order to push through so many membranes that seem to hold us back. And the reality is that a lot of that is artificially constructed by us. And that kind of positivity, you know, the company's called IO, and I could go on and on about why and naming conventions after Google become kind of a thing after you've worked in marketing. But I would say that an ion, so for people who work at IO is an ion, an ion is a positively charged atom or molecule. And they're seeking to connect with others in a positive way. And I hope that what we're doing embodies that kind of ethos. And when you're in a startup, or you're doing something new, and what you're working on, and, you know, the people I've met in this who devoted their energy, and it's been so rewarding in a way that I could never have imagined 20 years ago when I was in grad school. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part is that the future is undefined and sometimes can be a bit hazy and that can make people feel uneasy. And I think to push through those membranes can provide rewards in ways that go well beyond a monetary gain or something that feels like it can provide stability financially or whatever it is that we all need. I like to think of money as water in that we all need water. We all like water. If you like a lot of water, then have a reservoir or a swimming pool. But we can also drown in too much water. And so for me, money and water provide choices. And not having any money limits our choices. And having more allows us more freedom, more decisions that we can make. And as you get older and you have more responsibilities, kids, it becomes more important to be able to provide for people in a way that when you're younger, you're thinking about yourself, of course, a lot of the time. And as any of us age, the opportunity is to think about what we can do for others with any of that success. Before I ask you the flip side, the part of your current job that sucks the most, I would be remiss if I did not pick up on your eye on what is positive point. And that is to encourage our Java junkies to listen to another podcast, Rich Roll, who on April 12th interviewed Guru Singh on positivity. And this is a quote, sometimes what appears to be negative is the most positive thing you can do. What appears to be safe is sometimes the most dangerous thing you can be doing for your life. They talk quite a bit about positive and negative energy and the actual battery metaphor in quite detail. So I would encourage people to listen to that. So now, Daniel, the flip side, what is it about what you're doing right now that sucks the most? Oh, boy. I think that probably the hardest part of being an entrepreneur or somebody in the startup space is the solitude and the ways in which self-doubt can start to enter into your mind. You have hard days and you have not as hard days and you have days in which you really believe in what you're doing and you have days in which you wonder if it's what you should be doing. And I think seeking outside counsel, I feel so fortunate that my sister works with me. We talk almost every day about something, whether it's to do with the company or life or whatever it is, and just trying to keep each other in that positive place. I do love the analogy of a battery and recharging yourself is probably 
one of the most critical pieces of wisdom that I can pass on, and that especially someone like my sister, if I can use her as an example, a nurse who's constantly thinking about others, helping others, healing others. That's something that can be so draining, and you can forget to take care of yourself. And in the way that when we're on an airplane, we're told to put on our own oxygen masks before we help anyone else. And for service people, that can feel antithetical to how you're supposed to approach life. But the reality is, if you aren't taking care of yourself, whether it's through meditation or yoga or Pilates or just whatever wellness approach that each of us has, sleep being one of them, then everything else starts to suffer. And in that way, you are doing a disservice not only to yourself, but to those around you. And it can feel selfish to take care of yourself. I would argue that putting yourself at the center of what you want to do and remembering that you can pull others up with you, that it shouldn't feel like you're just a rocket off on your own. And that can be the hardest part in all of this, I would say, is that I've had plenty of sleepless nights and wondering what's ahead and who's going to say yes, who's going to say no and why, and is it about me and is it about the idea and did I go down the wrong path? And if you can find those people who can just help you to talk about your life, whether it's a therapist, a sibling, a loved one, anyone who can help you to retain that courage that is required to go down a path that you haven't gone down before. And I know so many people who I consider to be brave and bold and fearless. And I would put my daughter's up there as two young people who are watching their father go through all sorts of turmoil and personal stuff that just for them could feel quite scary. And I look at them as they get out of bed each day and they teach me so much about life that I could never have imagined learning from my children. And I think that it's so important to surround yourself with those people rather than going into business with people who just promise that they're going to make you a bunch of money or turn you into a success. To me, that is a more short-term approach. If you really want to sustain your life, sustain success, and sustain your own well-being, it takes a community. It takes a village. And that's where choosing the people you go into business with or the people you spend time with is so important. And I continue to learn from the wisdom of others. And I've had the good fortune of traveling to 67 countries, and 47 states and seven provinces, one territory, one iceberg, I like to say. <laughs> and, it, and in every case, I've met people who have had to endure far greater hardships than I have or have ever had to as somebody who came from a fairly lower class, I'm going to say financially family who continues to not put emphasis on money as a path to happiness. Again, thinking about it with choices, but the people around you can remind you of what's important. And that to me is what helps you see the sun the next day. Love it. Oh my gosh. There's so much I could add there, but the only footnote that I might put there is that to think about what Daniel said with regards to taking care of yourself and self-love, it's very hard for you to attract the kind of positivity that we all want in our life if you don't value yourself and if you aren't putting yourself at the center of your own universe. And that isn't about ego in the negative sense. It is about wisdom and wanting to catapult yourself and direct yourself through life, radiating positivity and attracting it at the same time, even as you encounter negativity, which is often a good thing. So again, my gosh, we could talk for another three hours about that. 
So, Daniel, we're getting down to our final three espresso shots here. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Well, I got that advice from my mom at a young age. And she always said to me when I was growing up, and I had all sorts of aspirations. I wanted to be a firefighter. I thought about being a psychologist. Maybe that's in the future. But I always sort of had all these ideas of what I wanted to do. And my mom said to me, Danny, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you are a garbage collector. Just be the best garbage collector you can be. I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. But I just mean that she would always say, apply yourself in the best way that you can and allow that to steer you in ways that maybe you just haven't even imagined yet. And in some ways, I think that that took the pressure off me to worry about what others thought, to worry about judgment, to just be the best at whatever I was doing. And I hope that I've applied that approach to life. My mom has continued to support me throughout my life in ways that has been just invaluable. And gosh, mothers and fathers, but just to say that your parents, when they share that kind of wisdom with you for us to be open to it. And that's probably the best career advice that I have. My first job was cleaning out horse stables. And my next job was working at McDonald's. And I went from cleaning out horse stables and horse manure, let's call it, to cleaning out toilets and everything that comes with working in fast food. And I did that for the better part of two and a half years when I was in school and high school. And so in the ways that we learn from any job and what it means to take that through your life, you know, you just never know where life is going to take you. And I left Canada almost 20 years ago to move to the United States as a place of opportunity. And I continue to see this country as my adopted home as a dual citizen, as a place that's afforded me so much that I could never have imagined as a kid from rural Canada and living on an island. So I think there's a lot to be said for both the immigrant experience, just as a type of immigrant who really values people from all over the world and what they can bring. And I think career advice can come from people professionally, but don't forget to learn from those around you and your in your family too, because they've seen a lot and <laughs> learned a lot. Absolutely. And as someone who loved horses growing up, I have spent so much time in horse stables, mucking out stalls, and I for one actually like the smell. So there you go. <laughs> It'll be therapeutic, at least. Yes. Okay. Final two espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or fiction books, Daniel, accurately depict your professions? Oh, boy. I would say that I think I've always been a fan. I will still watch this movie anytime that it's on, and that's All the President's Men. Just watching two journalists, two young journalists, Woodward and Bernstein in this case, tirelessly asking questions that nobody else seemed to want to ask or know the answers to. And I think that you can apply so much of that to your own life, whether it's journalism or any other endeavor. I think that books that I've read, I have been inspired by countless authors. I would say that Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, that changed my life when I was in my 20s, just thinking about how life maybe feels preordained or set in stone. And we all need to think of it sort of bigger than ourselves sometimes and where that can lead us in life. And I think today there's a Netflix show that I've just really gotten into called The OA, which is 
perhaps not the one that most people talk about as a binge watching experience, but there are two seasons of it that speak a lot to contemporary life, whether it's our dependency on technology or how we see ourselves in the world. And they really force us to think differently about our lives today and other dimensions and what it means to have a temporal existence. And, you know, I think sometimes we all imagine that we live forever. And of course, the reality is that we don't. And to think about what we leave behind, leaving the world in a better place than we found it is maybe the way that I kind of continue to think about my existence. Oh, my goodness. That is so inspirational. Final espresso shot, Daniel. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your professions? That they're perhaps not as glamorous <laughs> as people might think. Hell that, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know this better than anyone, in that any amount of success that comes from journalism, creative nonfiction writing, technology startups, tech companies, I'm sort of listing a few broader ones that I've been in, it requires human collaboration and consensus that happens often behind the scenes in a way that it should feel humbling to people who are in it and often does. And when people see the finished product or see something that someone's created, and often it's only a few or one person who is there to receive the award or take the credit or get the acknowledgement or get the byline or the person that people talk about. And the reality is that there's an iceberg of effort and blood and sweat and tears that happens in order for that to be possible. And I think that there's a tendency for people to, from the outside, say, oh, it looked so easy, or that person did it kind of on their own, or the rewards have paid them so many dividends that it's made their life so easy. I know people talk about moonshots all the time, and certainly what we're doing is a moonshot. Io, by the way, is the fourth largest moon of Jupiter, uppercase I, lowercase O, we're lowercase I, uppercase O. And when we think about getting to a moon, and I do think back to what President Kennedy said, and I'm going to do my best Bostonian <laughs> accent. You know, he said, we don't go to the moon because it's easy. We go because it's hard. And in the way that you learn anything and evolve in life, some of the most rewarding moments and experiences are because of surviving and overcoming challenges and learning from those mistakes and not dwelling on them and evolving in a way that we all have the opportunity to do every day in some of the smallest ways, not getting to the moon necessarily, but getting through the day, getting through the hour and in ways that we should all remember to reward ourselves for accomplishing those smaller journeys just as much as those moonshots. Oh, Daniel, what a beautiful way to end our T4C episode here. I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I wish you heaps of good fortune as you continue to try to breathe life into this incredible startup that you and your sister and your colleagues are working on. And I have no doubt that you are going to be a success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrea. And I'm going to go get some more coffee. But not instant. <laughs> not instant, no. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.